Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable. Steve and I are with Jay Bear today to discuss real strategies that will get your clients talking about you, but in a good way. Jay is a six-time author. His most recent book, Talk Triggers, was just released, and it is, I believe, a must-read for financial advisors. He is a popular speaker, one of very few who are in the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, and in his spare time, he's the founder of Convince and Convert, a firm that focuses on digital strategy consulting that drives true growth. Now, if you are not familiar with Jay... I think you'll fall in love with him just a little bit in this interview. He's funny, he's smart, and he's an incredible storyteller. And the stories that he shares get to the heart of effective word-of-mouth marketing. We talked to Jay about what characterizes a talk trigger, how they're different from the typical strategy we see of surprise and delight, and why talk triggers are so critical to referrals. And he breaks down a step-by-step action plan to create your own talk triggers. What really makes the talk trigger strategy so powerful and so different is that it's not just a way to get some clients talking about you some of the time, but it's about operationalizing a strategy that gets most clients talking a lot of the time. It's absolutely worth a listen. I hope you'll enjoy the interview as much as we did. And with that, let's get straight into the conversation. Well, Jay, welcome to Becoming Referrable. Absolutely thrilled to have you here today. Welcome, Jay. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate your time and the opportunity to become referrable. <laughs> Indeed. Well, well we're going to. And it'll happen right here on this program. Right, right here, here, folks. Yes. Watch this space. Um, right in front of your eyes. <laughs> so, look, Jay, we really wanted to talk to you for a lot of reasons, but in particular because of your new book, Talk Triggers. And uh, we'll dive into that, but there's, a, there's an obvious burning question to kick things off. And uh, clearly, that's why there's two llamas on the cover. Can you tell us why that is? Julie. Julie, they're alpacas. Oh, sorry. Um, why are there two and, alpacas and, on the cover? And I, and I only know that, by the way, because my wife is wild about alpacas. Oh, so thank you, Jay, for putting that on. It, it's a marketing book. I'll get. I'll be able to get her to read for that reason. <laughs> I love it. I'm glad that you recognize that. You know, it, it's uh, it's a bit of a story. We the the original cover that Daniel Lemon and my my co-author were presented was not good. It was just. It was just not very. Well, there, there were no alpacas to start. There were not, uh, for sure. And and he and I said, you know, if we're gonna write a book about word of mouth, mm. maybe the book should be a little different than your typical <laughs> perfunctory business book. And we were just messing around, and Daniel found that image of the one alpaca seeming to whisper to the other one, and he mocked up that cover, and he <laughs> sent it to me, and I thought, well, that's awesome. I love it, but there's no way Penguin's going to approve that. It's too crazy. He's like, well, maybe. I'm like, no. He's like, well, maybe. And I think people were on vacation or something, and so I sent it over there, and they're like, sure. sure. And they're like, yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah. And, and there you have it. So we, we kind of snuck it snuck it past the goalie somehow. You, you needed something you you could spin a yarn about so exactly. that would, that's right that's right whoa well done nicely, nicely done yes well the the uh, the byproduct of all that of having a book with alpacas on the cover is since the book came out which is i don't know five weeks now or something like that mm-hmm. i have received no fewer than 30 
alpaca themed gifts or acknowledgements <laughs> oh, no. from friends so Jeez, my whole office my whole office is like festooned <laughs> with alpaca stuff now which is great i'm not complaining i just uh, didn't see that coming you might you might have rethought the animal if if you'd known that yes, was that yes, was it would have been tequila on the cover it had would, i really precisely. thought it through. exactly um so look we're i mean obviously the the cover is uh, a, a great example of what we're going to talk about <laughs> and that is talk triggers so let, let me just start start there and ask you to tell us what is a talk trigger a talk trigger is a strategic operational differentiator that you employ to create conversation and turn your customers into volunteer marketers. It's something that you choose to do differently. It's not like a classic marketing example, something that you say differently. A talk trigger isn't a a campaign or a coupon or a contest or a product or a promotion. It, It is an operational decision that you make to do one thing differently that people are like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't expect that to happen. I should tell somebody about that. And so can you give us some examples of that? I know there's a lot in your book, but I'd love to hear some. I can. I will allow you to select from the wheel of examples. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like a small business example, a big business example, a B2B example, or a B2C example? Your choice. Jay, let's go small business. Let's go small business. (laughs) Well, and can I I refine that a little bit? Because there are such kinds of examples in the book. could Could we get a small business one, but one from a service business? Yes, indeed. Here's my favorite small business service example. It's from Jay Sofer, who was a locksmith in New York City. Uh, Jay is the highest rated locksmith in New York City on Yelp. He's also, if you can believe this, one of the top five highest rated businesses in New York, regardless of business type. Wow. That's a that's, pretty high bar. That's clear. pretty high. Yeah. He runs a heck of a business, but one of the secrets to Jay's success is his impactful talk trigger, his operational choice that creates conversation. It works like this. Jay comes to your house and he uh, finishes rekeying your apartment or whatever. Before he departs, he does a free security audit of your premise. So every door, every window, make sure everything is uh, tip top, also oils the locks. And then any tips he receives, he donates them to Animal Rescue. And it is a very, very effective differentiator because most locksmiths do not provide particularly great service. That's just sort of the locksmith business. Jay also does nights and weekend calls for free, doesn't charge extra for nights and weekends. He's just really, really great. And and it has propelled his business forward. It's decisions that he makes in his business. Anybody could make that decision. It's just that most people don't. Now, I'll tell you one of the things I like about Jay's story is that his talk trigger, his key talk trigger, the the security audit, is very relevant. And relevancy is one of the four ingredients of a talk trigger. So it's a locksmith, right, that does a security audit. It all makes sense, right? That all ties together. So does one of the classic word of mouth talk trigger examples, Doubletree Hotels, where every time you check in, they give you a warm chocolate chip cookie. They've been doing that that. every day, (laughs) every day for 30 years, 30 years. 75,000 cookies a day they give out. It's crazy. It it is the propellant of their brand. Now, it makes sense for them, warm chocolate chip cookie, their brand positioning at Doubletree is the warm welcome. So they want to be really, really good at that first eight or nine minutes that you're on property. And the cookie ceremony, and it is a ceremony. It's not a pile of cookies. They hand you a warm cookie. That's a big part of it. So warm welcome, warm cookie, locksmith security audit, right? You see how those things are relevant. But, but, 
Julie and Steve, imagine if those two were reversed. Imagine locksmith Jay Sofer comes to your apartment, <laughs> finishes rekey in your apartment, and then says, hey, before I go, Julie, would you like a warm chocolate chip cookie <laughs> that I made in my locksmith van? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah, you would say I wouldn't. I would not. I would not want that. I would not want that at all. I do not want that. And now I'm concerned about how these cookies are being manufactured. And if you went to the DoubleTree Hotel and and they gave you a room key and said, Steve, uh, before you get to your room, uh, could we do a thorough security audit? (laughs) You would say, if that's required, I'd like to just. I'd like to check out now. That's that's what I have TSA for. So thank you very much. That's it. That's it. So so the talk trigger has to make sense in the context of who you are and what you do. And so, I mean, you said it's something we do versus something we say, which I think is, you know, something I want to underline because it's such an important, we all say a lot of things. It's the doing. Yeah. Um, how do you differentiate what those two examples from, you know, the many interesting things a firm might do for its clients? Well, I think it depends on whether that is interesting enough to be talkable. Mm. Right? There's a lot of things that people do that are interesting, but do they cross the threshold into talkability, which requires it to be remarkable, right? In the definition of that word, which is worthy of remark. And, and the, the challenge that most um, small service providers have is that they believe that competency creates conversation. Right. Yes. Right. Right. And it doesn't. You know, being a good business helps you keep customers, but being a good business doesn't create stories. And this is all about getting your customers to tell your story. Like, I don't know everybody listening. I probably know some of your listeners, but I know this for sure. Nobody has ever said, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly (laughs) adequate experience I just had. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't say that because that's a bad story. So here's another example of a professional services company. There's an accounting firm in Indianapolis called Bognavoff, Bogdanoff and Dogis. Small two-man accounting firm, couple of associates. Their talk trigger is responsiveness, which is one of the key uh, talk trigger opportunities that you can have out there. They respond to every email from every client in five minutes, and they return all phone calls in five minutes. Now, as a small accounting firm, that is an operational choice that they have made to be that responsive to their clients. And is that a story that their clients tell? Oh, it is. If you look at the Google reviews for this business, every single Google review is like, I can't believe how fast Paul answered my email. I can't believe how fast Greg called me back. Like that is the story that people tell about this business. It's it's an interesting challenge when just prior when you mentioned competency isn't a talk trigger. And, and in our industry, which, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably all our financial advisors, that's tough because there's such a deep technical expertise associated with that. But I guess it's the equivalent mm-hmm. of saying the hotel room had clean rooms. No, no, the cleanest rooms. You, you just expect that. The lock worked. Kept yes, bad that's people it. out. That's it. And we just, we can't rely on that, can we? I, I went to the, I went to the wall and I flicked this switch and the lights came on. They did. That, Amazing. No way. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is that we don't talk about good. Mm-hmm. We talk about different. We talk about things we don't expect. The things that we all expect are important to us 
And if you don't do that, they'll definitely leave. That's why I say that competency keeps customers. It doesn't create customers. So if you if you don't deliver on those on those basic uh, tenets of business, you can certainly turn your existing customers off. But but by executing well, it isn't necessarily something that they're going to go out of their way to tell their friends about. That's where it has to be unexpected, which is why one of the big key process steps in, in developing talk triggers is to actually interview customers and ask them what they expect. Because once you know what somebody expects, you by definition know what they don't expect. And the gold in the river, the talk trigger, is always located in the place that they don't expect. And Jay, let, let me ask you something to, to elaborate on something. You talked about the accounting firm and, and their responsiveness mm-hmm. uh, being separating them. And when, when I talk, a lot of advisors that, that I talk to, you know, talk about that kind of thing. And, and one of the challenges is that can be self-limiting. I mean, if you want to scale, there's, there's only so fast you can get back to, to everybody. And it sort of leads to, to that idea where so many advisors uh, subscribe to this sort of um, surprise and delight kind of strategy as, as a way of differentiating. Yes. And, 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 and yeah. you know, you make a point that that's, that's not, not necessarily operational and, and it's not necessarily the right way to approach this. And you tell a story about, about Ritz-Carlton about that, that I, w- I wonder if you would share with the audience because I think it's really instructive. Yeah, it's just, it, surprise and delight's a big part of, of contemporary marketing theory. This idea that you take one customer in, in one particular circumstance and you treat them manifestly differently than you treat most of your customers day to day. The idea, the hope, is that this this largesse, this munificence has such an impact on that customer that that not only does it cause a behavior change in that customer, but more importantly, they share uh, the story somewhere, usually in social media, and it's so outlandish, it's so outrageous, it's so unexpected that other people share it, and it sort of, quote-unquote, goes viral. You see it in hotels all the time. Uh, Ritz-Carlton did one with with Joshi the giraffe, which was a, a a stuffed giraffe that a guest left behind, and then the the hotel took the giraffe to different places and took photos. Or, or you know, if somebody checks into their hotel room and there's like a live panda bear on the bed and a bamboo tree in the corner. You're like, oh my god, there's a bear in here, right? And 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 you know that might work, or you might just have a hotel room full of bear scat. Like you don't really know, and that's. That's my problem with surprise and delight yeah. is that it's not a strategy. It's a lottery ticket, right? And and I'm not a big believer in buying lottery tickets and calling it a repeatable strategy. Now, I'm not suggesting that surprise and delight can't work. We see evidence of it working all the time, but what's the long-standing impact of that? It doesn't it doesn't pay dividends into the future. You look at DoubleTree's uh, talk trigger with a warm chocolate chip cookie. They've been doing that every day for 30 years. And they almost never advertise because the cookie is the ad and the guests of the hotel are the marketing department in a lot of ways. So so I'm a bigger believer in, in let's do one operational thing differently every day for every customer and allow that to work its magic over time as opposed to this, well, let's shoot the moon and do something crazy. Let's you know rent an elephant and walk it down Main Street. Well, and it, 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 it expectations go wild with this stuff. I mean, my son left Floppy Bunny in a hotel recently, and I found it stuffed in a little plastic bag. And I'm like, that's not Joshy. Where are the photos? Like, I, <laughs> what's, right. I'm, I'm, so well I'm still waiting for that. But the poor... Where's my panda bear? Floppy yeah. was in a plastic <laughs> bag with the security guard all night. Um, so, look, let's get down to this operational piece because I think this, this is so important for everyone. Um, you talk about different types of top triggers. Can you tell us 
mm-hmm. they are and, and the distinction between each of those? Yeah, and you'll notice that these are all operations, right? Mm-hmm. It's not marketing. And that's an important distinction. Like a talk trigger isn't marketing. Not really. It's it's operations that create marketing advantages. Mm-hmm. So generosity is the one you see most often. Uh, free chocolate chip cookie, free security audit. There's a litany of examples in all sorts of industries. Um, that's the one you see most commonly because it's the easiest to envision in your business in most cases to say, oh, well, we could just give somebody something extra at this moment in time. So that's the one that you'll notice most often in the wild, but it's by no means the only type of talk trick. You have talkable responsiveness, which we mentioned earlier with Bogdanoff and Dodges, the accounting firm in Indianapolis that answers everybody within five minutes. That is a responsiveness talk trigger. That is, we are going to be faster than people expect. You have the empathy talk trigger. When you you are we are kinder, more human, more compassionate, more warm than people anticipate you to be. That's an option. You have the usefulness talk trigger. When you are more useful than customers expect. And then the last one is the attitude talk trigger, which is where you're just a little wackier um, than people anticipate you to be. Like the um, the sip and dip lounge is a good example of an attitude talk trigger. It's a uh, bar. It's been in, been around for 55 years. Uh, it's it's in Great Falls, Montana, which is um, out of the way, even by Montana standards, which is saying something. It is really, really far from anywhere. It's a it's a country bar, right? They they got Pat's Blue Ribbon and they got you know a T-bone steak special and. Uh, they have a piano player named Piano Pat. She's been playing piano there for 51 years. Awesome. Uh, 51 years on the piano, which is amazing. But that's not the talk trigger, although Piano Pat's pretty amazing. This bar, Sip and Dip, was named one of the 10 bars that you should buy a plane ticket and fly to by GQ magazine. Okay. Wow. Tell us. Tell us their why. Talk trigger tell is, it. It their talk trigger is every night... Between nine o'clock and midnight, it's a big long bar, kind of a typical bar you'd see in a small town kind of country bar, long wooden bar. Behind the bar, they've got their little bottles and stuff, but then they've got this giant black curtain. Every night, only between nine and midnight, they open this curtain. And on the other side of the curtain is an enormous acrylic lined swimming pool. So it actually functions like an aquarium. And from nine to midnight, live human mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> because swim no, Montana. Behind the bar. Yeah. Because Montana. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, natural habitat for, so, for the mermaid. Is that a story that you would tell somebody if you stumbled into that bar at, say, 9, 10 uh, in the evening and you looked up <laughs> from your beer and there was a live human mermaid swimming by? Yes, that is a story <laughs> that you would most definitely tell. And by telling that story, it increases awareness, trial, visitation, etc. for sip and dip, which is, in fact, the nature of a talk. And so you mentioned usefulness. I mean, what what mm-hmm. do you mean there exactly? Here's an example from a services uh, organization from a real estate company. Um, my buddy Joe Manusa is a realtor in Tallahassee, Florida. And he's a bit of a different kind of realtor, Joe, because he only represents sellers. If you want to buy a house, he didn't really do that. He also only represents sellers who have homes between $200,000 and $400,000. 
So relatively modest homes. Yeah. And in that price point, it's it's fairly common. Um, Julie, Steve, you may know this, that, that you know, if you're $200,000 to $400,000, your mileage may vary, but chances are you probably don't have a ton of upside equity in that home. Mm-hmm. What's very common, therefore, in that segment of the market is that people think, well, I could use a realtor or, hey, now, I could try to sell this sucker myself <laughs> and I could keep the 6% commission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's just like, it's just like you know, sure. ETFs or, or whatever. Same idea. Yeah. You could also cut You'll your own things. hair, but it's probably not. <laughs> you can, there's a lot of things you could do. There's a lot of things you could do. Joe understands this. Unlike fundamentally every realtor, every advisor, every insurance broker, every doctor, every lawyer, every consultant like me, every professional service provider, frankly, in the world has a website. They all have the same website. Now, the the, the words may be rearranged a little bit, but... Everybody's website says the same thing. It says, when you read between the lines, behold the awesome power of my expertise. I know things you could possibly never know. I'm actually trained to do this. Do not try this yourself. That's essentially what the website says. Yeah. Except Joe's website. Joe sat down and wrote a 60-page free downloadable PDF document. You can get it all over his website. It's called How to Sell a Home on Your Own in Florida. And it's exactly that, step-by-step, paperwork to fill out, who to call, what to do. I interviewed him for a book I wrote once. I said, uh, Joe, I don't quite understand this because it seems to me that you are giving people exactly what they need to not hire you. And he said, Jay, I understand why you think that. But what you also don't understand is that people get to about page 19. And they say, holy cow, is it hard to sell a house on your own? I want no part of this. What was I thinking? It's his number one source of customers, you see. His name, email address, and phone number on every page. And not only does he get that customer, it's a talk trigger that yields additional customers again and again and again. Because if you have a home between $200,000 and $400,000 that you have thought about selling yourself, who else has a home in a similar situation? Most likely all of your friends, because all the data show that home pricing is a very strong correlation in adult friendships. So all your friends are in the same situation. They say, hey, Jay, weren't you going to sell your house on your own? You're like, yeah, dude, I was, but don't do that. Don't even think about it. You're going to get to page 19, and you're going to realize it was way too hard. You should just call my man Joe. Here's his number. Interesting. Interesting. Talkably useful. One of the best things to do in the services business is to essentially just take everything you know and give it away one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. And people are really reluctant to do that, right? But one of the ways that you can become referable is to give away what you know. But you have to understand something that's really important. A list of ingredients doesn't make somebody a chef. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So don't be concerned about telling them what you know to the degree that they won't have to hire you. Because typically... The opposite happens. When you tell them what you know and you give them what you know, just like Joe does, it actually creates customers. It doesn't take away from customers. Absolutely. 
Yep, that's so, a very interesting point. So we've talked about these five different types and for for advisors or anyone really who's thinking, okay, it's time to take some action. Can you give us a, a roadmap in terms of, how, of what I, I do? What? Not only can I, but I will. Oh, thank goodness, because it would have been so unsatisfying had <laughs> you just said yes and then nothing else. Well, I could just say buy the book and, and just disconnect the call. Sure. I could do that, but no, I will tell you how to do it. But you should buy the book because the book itself has a talk trigger as well. In addition to having alpacas on the cover, as Steve adroitly pointed out at the open, yes. uh, the book itself says on the book, it says satisfaction guaranteed. If you buy this book and don't like it, go to talktriggers.com and send the authors a note, that's me, and we will buy you any other book that you like. Awesome. And that's true. So if you don't like it and you want like a first edition Bible or something, like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put our best people on it. We'll figure something out for you. Signed by the author. Uh, yes. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is from, uh, this is from Paul. Um, so yeah, no, there's literally no financial risk in purchasing the book because if you don't like it, yeah. uh, we will take care of it. And then some, anyway, back to your question. First thing you do, and I'm summarizing the, the steps, but, but the first thing you do is create a customer journey map. Document all the different touch points that you have with your clients. Um, they come to your website, they call you, you call them back, there's a proposal maybe, they investigate the proposal, and then you get a monthly meeting and a statement or whatever. Like all the different touch points. You write all of those down in order, okay? Second step, you interview Ideally, 18 customers, 18 customers in three categories, six of each. New customers, people who have not been with you very long, long-standing clients, people have been with you for a while, and lost clients, people who are no longer with you. Ideally, you have six conversations of each. And in those conversations, you ask them all the same thing you kind of review the customer journey map with them and you say at each of these points, when I sent you a proposal, what did you expect would happen? Because what you're trying to do is collect customer expectations at each of these inflection points. Because as I mentioned earlier, once you know what people expect, you know what they don't expect. And your talk trigger has to be what they don't expect. So once you've done these interviews, you will have some insights. You will have some understanding about expectations. Then you brainstorm and come up with a handful of potential talk triggers using the formulas in the book. Now, at this point, you will have a list of, you know, we usually do 10 to 12 when we create talk triggers for clients, but we also do this for a living. Realistically, you might come up with five. So you got five decent ideas that you know your clients don't expect. You know where in your touch point map you would deploy these talk triggers uh, early in the relationship, monthly statement, late in the relationship, portfolio review, whatever. Then you take the one that you like the best and you test it. This is very important you come up with a way to deploy the talk trigger to only certain customers in a way that you can control it. So it might be only new customers, only customers with a certain, um, that have bought a certain product, uh, only on Thursdays, only at a particular office location. There's a lot of ways to do that. And, and I, depending on, on what, how your business is set up, but you test it and you test it for a little while. And then you look for evidence of talkability. And if people are talking about it, then you're like, aha, there's a there there. And then you roll it out to everybody. That's how you do it. 
Awesome. It's, uh, it, it, I mean, the, the first, uh, the, the first two things that you talked about are, are so core to, uh, any great client experience, Never mind just the talk trigger. I mean, those, they're fundamental to that. So I, I love that you can do those two steps and then leverage it to not only create a talk trigger, but to really look at your client experience overall. Um, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I think it does pay dividends beyond just a word of mouth strategy. You know, getting into the habit of doing those kind of interviews and mapping your touch points will, will, will make you a better business person, regardless yes. of whether you employ yeah. a talk to yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, one of the when we talk to advisors about referrals, uh, and in fact, when we talk to clients about if they did refer, uh, it often comes back to this idea of well, I didn't know who to refer. I, do, I don't know who needs mm-hmm. my financial advisor. I, uh, or maybe by simply by telling them that I work with somebody, I'm suggesting they need financial advice, which could be uh, sure. provocative at, at, at best. But it strikes me that this whole strategy just gets rid of that whole problem in a way, because you're not, you're not worried about- That's right. You're just telling a story. Yeah, it's just, it's just a story. That's why, that's why, yeah, that's why like- John Jantz, good friend of mine, wrote a terrific book, The Referral Engine, uh, about about being referable and, and, and recommendations and those kind of things. And he's very smart. It's a really good book. But I like talk triggers because of the reasons that you just articulated. It's not quite as linear as a referral. It's a story that then people who are receiving that story can then decide what to do with that information. Right. So if I tell you about the warm chocolate chip cookie I got from Doubletree Hotels, and I will tell you because I did the research on this, 34% of their customers do tell that story. Which means that 25,000, 34%, which means that that's huge, which means that 34% unprompted, a larger, a larger percentage will will mention if you ask them, hey, do you know the cookie story, but unprompted, unaided, 34% will tell that story every 30 days, which means that on average, that story is told 25,500 times a day. Now, does that mean that 25,500 people are going to show up at Doubletree tomorrow? Well, no. Some of them will never show up at Doubletree. Some of them never even travel. So sometimes the story is told not on deaf ears, but on ears that you can't monetize. But that's okay. A talk trigger is about a story that then somebody can decide what to do with that story. When you're saying, refer me, and I'm not sure whether I should refer you to my financial advisor because maybe you already have one that you like, or maybe I feel that sounds like I don't. I think you don't know what you're doing with your money. The nice thing about a talk trigger is just to your point, Julie, it takes that away. It's not a, I think you should call this person. It's just a story. And if you choose to call them, fantastic. Yeah. And that, that's where I think the power is in this is, is that... You know, lots of people are, are reluctant to refer because, you know, we as a society tend not to talk about our wealth with our friends and we don't talk about all mm-hmm. of the financial issues an advisor could help you with, with our friends. But this doesn't require that, right? So that, that this is just a story that, that, okay. that you, that you Steve, find interesting, right? I'll tell you how this works, okay? So, so the, only, the, <laughs> the only category where people are more reluctant to talk proactively about their successes than financial services is health, right? Nobody wants to, you know, in, unless you're sort of a, you know, I love Orange Theory or Peloton or whatever your, your kind of um, cult-like exercise regime is. But if somebody has, <laughs> you know, part and parcel, most people keep that kind of stuff for themselves. But you can still use a talk trigger. Here's one of my favorite examples. It's not in the book, exclusive to your show. Excellent. Here we go. I learned about this a few weeks ago. I was in Seattle 
uh, giving a presentation about talk triggers. And a guy comes up to me after my talk and says, Jay, uh, do you know this example? It's from right around the corner. I said, no, I don't think so because I don't have any, any Seattle stories. He said, okay, well, here's how it works. He said, there's a doctor here in town. Okay. He's a surgeon. All right. He only does vasectomy surgeries. Go on. Okay. Do mm-hmm. tell. <laughs> yeah, right. Now you've got my interest. Uh, okay. His name is Dr. Snip. Dr. Snip. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, right? And so I'm laughing. That I, that, and he says, that but Jay, no, awesome. that's not the talk trigger. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> now oh please do Here tell me go. more of this story. He said, here's the way it works. Dr. Snip. Every single customer, every single patient, on the way out the door gets three things. They get insurance paperwork. They get post-operative care instructions, frozen bag of peas, et cetera, et cetera. And they Mm -hmm. get a small black box. And inside this small black box, available only to patients of Dr. Snit, inside this small black box is a tiny silver engraved pocket knife and it reads <laughs> dr snip vasectomy surgeon now you can imagine how effective this is <laughs> when you're on your boat or you're playing golf or you're watching football with your buddies and you open a beer with your dr snip knife and your friend says hey lenny that's hey. a sweet knife bro where'd you get it where'd i get this knife <laughs> I got this knife from Dr. Snip, vasectomy surgeon. Because just <laughs> like well, it, and it sort of as I said, just like just like the real estate story, birds of a feather, right? That's exactly. If you, if you have had a vasectomy, <laughs> yeah. if you've had a vasectomy, chances are your buddies are in the market, right? Or at least the wives of your buddies are in the market. So I was going to say, like, you're wrong market. That's it. That's it. So <laughs> so you know th- that is not that is not a referral. It's not like hey, you should go to my guy. But it creates the story that then may yield that conversation. That's awesome. It's, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, you can't get a better example of someone who would otherwise not be referred unless you were asked directly for the name of your surgeon. Who's your guy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, And, and maybe somebody was like really in the market. But by the time you had that conversation with your friend, you're so far down the consideration funnel yeah. at that point. Yeah. You're just narrowing down options, right? Yeah. So, so you know, you're, you're mid funnel or lower at that point. So this creates awareness, creates a story, creates recognition, creates kinship, creates preference, potentially creates a, a referral way, way higher in the consideration process. So I know we're uh, at time here, and this is uh, another great conversation where I could just listen all day, but I promise I won't keep you on all day. Um, are there some mistakes that you see people making as as it either relates to the application of this particular strategy or, or others when it comes to word of mouth marketing? Well, sure. Uh, I mean, first of all, nobody has an actual word of mouth strategy. Right? I mean, the, the, the data the data shows that that word of mouth influences between fifty and ninety percent of all purchases, much higher in B two B. But yet nobody has a word of mouth strategy. You, you got a strategy for everything else, right? You got a strategy for marketing and social media, maybe, and public relations and hiring and you know crisis and everything else, security. But nobody has a word of mouth strategy. We just take it for granted. We just assume that our clients will talk about us. Um, but why do we? 
why do we make that assumption? So that's the biggest challenge, right? Is that just people are just so laissez-faire about it. Um, it's it's extraordinary. Second challenge, as I mentioned, is is that people um, think that competency is what creates conversation. And, and the reality is that you have to do something different that people notice. And and the more you try to fit in, the more your clients actually tune out. This this idea of let's play follow the leader and adopt best practices. Like I understand why that why people want to do that because it reduces risk, but but it doesn't create any stories. So you, you have to kind of have the courage to be worthy of a story. That's the third, the second thing. And then, and then the, the last piece is that when people decide, you know what, we should do more about word of mouth, instead of going through the process that we touched on earlier and kind of working the process and working the steps and talking to customers and seeing what they expect, they just sit in a, sit in a conference room and brainstorm it and say, okay, we got an hour, come up with something cool. And if it was that easy, you'd already have done it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I really, yeah, I really want to emphasize all, all of what you just said. And Julie and I have done research and found, you know, that, um, you know, one of the things that is most highly associated with more referrals is having a referral system. And like you, like you're just saying here, you know, you need to be deliberate about it. And you mentioned John Jansh before. He too was on the podcast, episode number three. Fantastic. And you know, he found that, you know, it. it Referrals is, is the biggest source of new clients, but, you know, 80% of small business owners don't have a system for it. Nope. And, you know, and, and, and I really want to just reiterate that the importance of what you're saying is you can you can repeat this and you can operationalize it. And I think that's where, you know, I, I think a lot of advisors would really benefit from from that advice because, you know, what we, we tend to do that, you know, what can we do for this particular client that would be special for them when talk triggers is, you know, part of the whole operation yeah, and that's it's a system. so valuable it's just a system and, I, and yeah. i'll tell you the time to work on this is right now because we're, we're you know we're headed into uh you know a continued uh inconsistent market uh, i just read in the new york times today that people are, are starting to pull money out of the market i think we're going to continue to see that the, the time to make yourself talkable is not when the market is crushing it and people can't give you money fast enough. Mm-hmm. The, the time to 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 make these kind of operational enhancements is when things are tough because that's when you go out and steal market share from everybody else in your town who who won't do it, who won't put the effort into it. Awesome. Um, well, yep. Jay, just before we wrap up, I, we'll we'll certainly get all the links on the on the show notes. But where can people uh, find out more about you and the work that you do? TalkTriggers.com is the best place for the book. We've got all kinds of free stuff there. Infographics, research, videos, discussion guides, PowerPoint presentations, um, charts, graphs, like all kinds of stuff. So obviously reading the book will give you more information, but but going to the website and just downloading what's there will give you a great head start on your TalkTriggers journey. So TalkTriggers.com is a good place to go. And then my main site, which is our consulting firm, our network of podcasts, 5,000 free articles at convinceandconvert.com. So if you want to be a better online marketer, that's the place to go. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Love the book. Love the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank oh, you. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Hey, folks. Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.